Hello and welcome to the Kia Koshman Basketball Podcast. I'm joined today by a great guest, a returning guest, NMZ. What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me again. Uh, just excited to talk hoops. I'm sure there's, you know, some good topics you have today. So I'm excited to talk about those. Basketball season. Um, the regular season's coming to a close. It's almost playoff time or play-in time, I should say. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. So let's get right into it. Uh, one piece of big news recently, I think this came out yesterday, is Robert Williams is injured. While the Celtics have been surging and the best team in the league for the past couple months, I think, at this point. So what do you think this injury for Robert Williams means for the Celtics and for the league? Yeah, I got that update yesterday, too. And I just think that's, you know, a big blow to their to their title odds. Uh, meniscus tears or partial meniscus tears, whatever it, whatever it was, they're tricky because, you know, in some cases you see guys just remove the meniscus and they are able to come back. Um, so if Rob elected to do that, go that route, he could probably come back this season, but it might have, you know, some long-term ramifications. Um, but if he decides to just, you know, surgically repair it, then we're probably looking at a Celtics team with that Robert Williams for the rest of the years. And given his age and kind of his injury history in the past, I wouldn't be surprised if they go with the latter and just kind of shut him down for the year. Um, truth be told, they were kind of my title pick, or not my my Eastern Conference uh, team to come out of the East. Um, and when that you know update came, I just don't like their chances the same just because of what Rob does for them on the defensive end. I just think it's hard to to even collectively overcome that. Um, he moves his feet so well. He just has such a great first leap off the ground, excellent roamer, um, just the way they use him. So, you know, the casual fan might not see that, but you look at what he does on both ends for them. It's just, it's going to be hard to replace Grant Williams or Daniel Tice probably having to come in the starting five. And it's already a team that's thin, so it's going to be tough. Yeah, I I wouldn't say they are my title or my Eastern favorites, but they definitely for sure had a chance to make it all the way to the finals and I think it was like pretty likely or like reasonably likely and yeah how you said that without him they're just not the same team it's definitely true he really unlocks um Al Horford which is funny because a lot of people thought that would be a weird fit it would have to be one or the other but it turned out that they complement each other really well and bring out the best in each other, at least on defense, where you can put Horford on like maybe like a slower or bigger guy, maybe more skilled to be like that one-on-one defender. And then Robert Williams could cover insane ground and a lot of space how he does and just be able to come from out of nowhere to help on defense. And now you have Horford has to do a lot more Daniel Tice is a good defender, and so is Grant Williams, but neither have that athletic burst that Time Lord has. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a big blow. He had great uh, chemistry with Marcus Smart, too, on both ends. And I know there's been some rumors, or not rumors, like rumbling, that he might be able to come back this year, like you said. I hope he does, because... It feels like everything finally came together at the right time for the Celtics team, and it would be very disappointing to, for that to just like come to an end like this. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I don't know how they decide to go about that. Um, he probably missed the rest of the regular season, um, 
and I think they probably start the playoffs without him. But, um, you know, him coming back in the midst of the playoffs and if he's actually able to look like most of himself, you know, that could be a, a huge swing right there. Um, I'm not sure, you know, like where they're going to end up just because of how tight things are one through four and who they're going to ultimately see. But, you know, in a conference that boasts the likes of Giannis, Joel Embiid, even Bam Adebayo, who gave them a lot of trouble in the bubble in 2020, not having him there, um, you know, that could come back to bite them. So um, I'm interested to see over the next few games how they look without him and kind of how they try to, you know, overcome that. Yeah, I think he's definitely out for the regular season, like you said. Uh, hopefully he can come back by playoffs and be healthy. And I mean, that's really all there is to say about that. Another topic that has been big recently, very discussed, is how great the Memphis Grizzlies have been without Jaw because he's been out with his knee injury recently. And they're not only winning, they're kind of blowing teams out, continuing a trend of that that they've had all season. What are your what's your take on this? Uh a couple of things. I was pretty high on the Grizzlies, not to say I thought they'd be you know, they'd have the second best record in the league, but I thought they were going to be like a playoff team. I thought they were going to advance past the playing stage. And that's despite, you know, uh, most people th- thinking they were going to take somewhat of a step back after trading Valanciunas for Steven Adams. Um, a big reason why is, is just the depth on that team. And I think this season, I want to say they their bench plays the most minutes per game. I think they're top five in scoring for benches and, they lead every other major statistical category in terms of their bench. So the bench produces when it's out there. Um, Taylor Jenkins has done a really good job managing guys. Um, their closing lineup, you know, unlike most teams, it actually varies from night to night depending on who's actually playing well. Um, so he has multiple guys he can kind of go to. Um, and I think Tyus Jones, he's been fantastic for them in the games Jaw has missed. So 18-2, and two, um, Tyus Jones rarely turns the ball over. He's just steady. Um, and that bench lineup, I think the biggest thing where where we see uh, or why they're successful with them on the floor, not like a defensive drop-off when those guys come on. Like a lot of teams, you see that your paint protector comes out or, you know, your top point of attack guys in the first unit, and there's a bit of a drop-off. But DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, those guys come in and they compete. You know, it's just a very prideful group playing with great energy, they're connected on both sides of the ball. So. It's a deep team. Shout out, you know, Coach Taylor Jenkins, who I think deserves um, some recognition for Coach of the Year this year. They're for playing sure. excellent basketball, and that's why they're able to overcome his absence. Yeah, I think um, I ta- we talked about this on the last episode of the podcast with Jackson Lloyd. This is just a very deep team. It has a culture, which is, I mean, that can be very vague, but it's clear that everyone there like has this, they have this defensive identity, like you said. A lot of it is coaching. Taylor Jenkins has done a great job, as you mentioned. Definitely isn't getting as much defense or not defensive coach of the year buzz as he should be. Um, yeah, I mean it's just like a a well-rounded roster. De'Anthony Melton and Tyus Jones is a pretty great backup point guard rotation. So if they have to slide into that starting spot, that's fine. Uh, Desmond Bain has been one of the more underrated players this year. I think he's been like an efficient 18 a night or something like that on great three-point shooting. 
I also don't think that they could be this good in the playoffs, obviously, without Jaw. And I think I think it's kind of annoying to see some of the discourse that's come from this on both sides. We have some people trying to say Jaw hasn't had that great of a season because look how good the Grizzlies are without him. And then you have other people saying, no, the the team around him actually isn't that good. It's just kind of fluky. And yeah, I mean, I guess that's most of what's come out of this on like Twitter and stuff. And it seems kind of unfortunate. Like, let's just appreciate that this is a good team that has overperformed what a lot of people, including me, thought. And uh, yeah, I think everyone kind of deserves their flowers here. Everyone's been great. Yeah, I'm right with you on that. Um, I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to MVP talk or All-NBA, you know, people got agendas to push. So they're going to try to creatively use those records without players, um, best of their benefits. So yeah, stuff like that tends to happen. I think the Grizzlies, like you said, do have an identity along with, you know, defending at a high level. I think they also rebound the ball extremely well on both ends. They create a lot of second chance opportunities for themselves, you know, for a team that if I had to say, you know, one thing I don't see too much on, on that team of it's, you know, sometimes I think the, the lack of three-point shooting or just even shot creation outside of John Morant could probably hurt them in the later rounds of the playoffs. But, you know, one of the biggest ways to overcome that is to consistently get second chance points. Steven Adams is like the master at like the tip out um, after a missed shot. So he gives the Grizzlies multiple possessions. I also want to shout out Brandon Clark, who I think is playing like the least minutes of his career, but he's another one of those guys that they go to down the stretch to close out games. Um, I think he leads their bench in scoring at just like 10 per, but there's multiple guys kind of hovering around that. So, you know, he's playing well, and I know he was struggling with his shot. So him finding a way to still contribute is big. But, yeah, you're, you're right on the money with that. This team has a culture. They know who they are. They compete hard, and they've got, you know, 10, 11 guys that they can go to. Yeah, and I like what you said about rebounding because a lot of people the past couple of years have started to kind of say rebounding isn't very important. You know, and I think like on an individual level, that's true. Like how many rebounds one specific player gets per game might not matter too much. But definitely as a team, one of the one of the easiest way to make improvements and to kind of outplay your talent level is to get boards, especially offensively, because like you said, you can just get more. It basically just erases a missed shot, an offensive rebound which is obviously very important. So, yeah, I mean, this team gets a lot of offensive rebounds. I think I think I heard like a third of their shots result in offensive rebounds. I don't know if that's true, but regardless, it's a, a lot, a very high amount of offensive rebounds. And, yeah, I agree with you that the shot creation could be an issue in the playoffs, but... You know, so hopefully Jaw comes back in the playoffs, so that's not really an issue. And I also like the Brandon Clark shot you gave because I think he's one of those guys that they'll have to lean on more in the playoffs. I feel like they should really look at lineups with him and Jaron Jackson Jr. as the bigs because the versatility they give, especially on defense, Jaron Jackson on offense could be more of the, like, like spacer, kind of ball skills, and then Brandon Clark, even though he's short, he's a great pick-and-roll lob threat because he's, like, pretty athletic. He can get up there. So 
yeah, I feel like those two together can give a, a dynamic that they don't really have any other way on the team, and I hope they lean towards that more. Yeah, I agree. I think Brandon Clark can also be used as a short roll guy with the, you know, his floater that he loves to go to. So, yeah, there's creative ways to use that lineup. I think they already kind of go to that Jaron and Brandon Clark uh, lineup to close games. Um, like you said, it just gives them a lot of defensive versatility, too, because both guys can move pretty well in space. Um, Jaron, you know, early in his career had that, you know, some trouble with fouling. He's kind of corrected that a little bit, and he's been, you know, fantastic at, you know, altering shots at the rim. So I'm excited to see this Grizzlies team in the playoffs. Um, unclear of who they're going to see. It's kind of looking like they might get Minnesota, assuming Minnesota wins their home uh, playing game if things hold the way it is. To me, that would be a fantastic first-round series. I would love to see Memphis and Minnesota go after it just because both teams are just – they just talk a lot of mess, man, and they get after it in a <laughs> physical series. I would just love to see that. I want that so badly. That might be my my most preferred round one matchup because, I mean, first you get John Morant and Anthony Edwards who, relative to height, I think are probably the most athletic players in the league or at least up there without a doubt. Every time I watch them play, it's like something crazy, something incredible has happened happening so watching those two together or not together but against each other attacking the basket relentlessly in a playoff series i'd love to see that and even though the grizzlies would be favored i actually think it would be pretty competitive and could honestly go either way just because i mean i don't think the grizzlies are some like juggernaut incredible unbeatable team and i think the wolves are very solid and have a lot of talent, so I actually imagine, I mean, I would still pick the Grizzlies, but I think that would be a very fun series that could go either way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think both teams are well coached. Both teams compete defensively. Uh, both teams have been, you know, two of the better teams since the All-Star break, so they're both trending upwards. Um, I think that would be a good six or seven games. I don't think the Grizzlies, despite being the two-seed, we just run away with that. And I think Cat, you know, might present them with some mismatch or he'd at least force them to adjust their lineup potentially. So I agree. That would be a really fun series to watch. Yeah. So speaking <clears throat> about the playoff and play-in race in the West, the Lakers today fell to the 11 seed, I believe, with the loss to the Dallas Mavericks. And it feels like I talk about the Lakers every episode, but I mean – Imagine telling someone a few years ago that LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook would be on the same team and they would be the 11th seed with two weeks left in the season. And obviously that's kind of unfair because AD's been hurt, LeBron missed some time, but wow. I was not high on them coming into this season and even I could not have imagined it would go this bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right with you on that. I, I wasn't the highest on this team. Like most people were saying that they were going to be representing the West in the finals or whatever. I thought there were some legitimate fit concerns from the jump. But I thought, you know, by game 75 that they'd have, you know, figured some things out and kind of resembled a play, like some, you know, like a, a basketball team. But they're just, 
guys have been in and out all season. Anthony Davis, for whatever reason, just hasn't been able to stay healthy. A lot of it has just been really bad injury luck. Uh, LeBron obviously didn't play tonight with his ankle. He's missed quite a few games. Russell Westbrook has been there, but, you know, through just even in his press conferences, you can just tell he hasn't looked comfortable all season, um, whether it be, you know, trying to fit into a different role or, you know, just not being able to make shots or just even the way, you know, <laughs> the home crowd has even treated him, telling him not to shoot the ball. Like it's just been a, it's just been a disaster on all fronts. The crazy thing is they can still make the postseason. And they are 11, so they are out of it as of today. Um, but if LeBron and Anthony Davis, who I believe are supposed to be coming back within the week, play and and they finish better than the Spurs, who don't have the easiest schedule, um, aside from two games against Portland, I believe, the Lakers can get in. And then you give yourself a chance. Um, you probably play, you know, the Pelicans. Who the, I was watching a bit of that game as well. Um, they played them tight, but the Pelicans finished them off. Um, and then you're probably getting, you know, either L.A. or Minnesota. And that would be, you know, a very, very entertaining matchup, regardless of who they played. But, you know, it's crazy nowadays that you can be 13, 14 games under 500 and still actually have a chance to make the postseason. Like, I never thought I'd see that, but the rules are the rules. So the Lakers are still alive. Yeah, I like that you use the word disaster because... I don't think there's a more perfect word to describe what the season has been for the Lakers. Um, I I still feel like there's something there though, mm. like um, what's his name? I forgot the one young Gabriel. He's actually looked pretty solid since they picked him up a couple weeks ago. Stanley Johnson was a mid-season pickup that has gone fairly well. Malik Monk is finally starting to, well, I guess, I guess for a little bit, he's been starting to be featured more in the offense. And I feel like he really could make this offense something scary next to the main three guys. It's like they have these stretches where you're like, oh, this is a real team. They can do something. No one wants to play them. And then you have stretches where they just lose by 20. And it's not a team, like you said. They just don't resemble a competent basketball team at all. Yeah, and, and with the names you mentioned, you know, I'm not at the start of the season. There was a lot of jokes about, oh, the Lakers are an older team, yada, yada, but they'll be able to overcome that. But it's really been the youth that has kind of inspired yeah. L.A. to play better basketball. Like Stanley Johnson has been around for a while, but compared to who he's playing with and like his peers in the locker room, he's definitely one of the younger guys. Austin Reeves, another guy you can throw in there. Malik Monk's fairly young. Uh, Wendon Gabriel, you know, in NBA years is pretty young. So those are the guys that are getting after it, you know, trying to make a name for themselves, trying to, you know, somewhat play for their next contract, potentially things like that. Not the guys that are already established in the NBA. I made kind of a joke about this, but the Lakers, I don't know if you ever have seen that like B-ball index statistic that came out about like the low activity defender on each team. Basically the guy they try to hide or the guy who doesn't rotate as frequently, but feels like the Lakers on any given night are playing six or seven guys in the rotation that try to assume that role. So you got a bunch <laughs> of guys just standing and pointing on who should rotate out to a shooter. And the guys just got six seconds to shoot a shot. Like you're in the NBA, you got to get out there. So they're playing a lot of younger, you know, they're playing the younger guys. They've kind of brought an energy, but you know, they're very, those guys alone aren't going to make the shift they need. You know, I think they just need their three stars back out there. They've got to, you know, 
in a sense, just capture lightning in a bottle because seven, eight games is not enough to just completely, you know, turn your season around. So they got to just find something and run with it. So hopefully, you know, just for entertainment purposes, I hope they do get into the, the play-in at the very least, just because I think it'll be more fun for everybody. But um, hopefully they're also playing good basketball so we get a good product out there. Yeah, and those young guys, they, uh, they're they kind of connector guys, like glue pieces, Reeves, Johnson, Gabriel, even Monk to an extent, though he could definitely have a bigger role on offense than the others. And yeah, like you said, they play their best basketball when those young guys are on the court. And them being connector pieces, you would think, oh, we really got lucky three times this season with Reeves, Johnson, and Gabriel. We have these complementary pieces. That's exactly what you want around three superstars or what are supposed to be superstars. And they just kind of need to put it together because really they should be very thankful that those three players hit the way they did. Because if not, this season would be a catastrophe, not just a disaster. So I hope they can kind of build off those three being better than expected and hopefully hopefully just be a better team when the LeBron and AD come back paired with Westbrook. Because I would love, to, I mean, uh, a play-in game between this Lakers team and the Clippers with Paul George, who has come back from his injury today and is playing right now, that could be very fun. A winner, winner-take-all playoff game, or essentially like to make it to the playoffs, winner-take-all. I would love to see that. So, yeah, I hope, like you said, the Lakers could figure this out and make something interesting for the rest of the season. Yeah, for sure. And I think the one interesting thing as the season has, you know, went on is the Lakers have started to, it feels like at least whether it be through the media or just in their press conferences or whatever, there's been kind of some finger pointing. So I'm really, you know, excited to see, you know, when the season does conclude for them, whenever it does. Um kind of how they approach this off season, because there's going to be tough decisions made. I think there's for sure going to be change. Um, maybe a huge move in the summer, maybe not. Maybe they just are forced to kind of run with what they have um, just because of their, you know, cap situation. Um, I think head coach is also going to be a position that they're probably going to, you know, transition away from whether, you know, you feel like that's fair or not. I just find it hard to see Frank Vogel coming back just after this season. I think, you, sometimes you're just in need of a fresh voice, a new voice in the locker room. So I think, you know, when the season does end, whether it be in the play-in or in the first round or if they just don't make it, there's going to be a lot of change in L.A. because while we can say, oh, they, you know, they, they played a lot better down the stretch, they got in the playoffs, whatever, this isn't close to what was envisioned when they put this team together. Like they're yeah. not even scratching uh, close to what they thought they would be at. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I agree with you that I imagine Vogel will be gone. I'm a big fan of Coach Vogel. I do th- wish he was more creative offensively and maybe a little less stubborn with his uh, rotations because I feel like there are definitely times where I'm puzzled at the five players on the court. But I think defensively he's great, and if he if they do move on from him, which could be the right move, I imagine he'll get a new job pretty quickly. And I think he could help out a lot of teams as coach, but 
yeah, he's kind of been a scapegoat for a lot of people, which I could see why, but I don't really agree. Yeah, scapegoat has been a, a popular word in L.A. this season. So, <laughs> yeah, a lot of finger pointing. Not sure, you know, who takes the ultimate fall, but if I had to guess, it's probably Frank Vogel. But, yeah, I do think he'll be able to find another opportunity. I don't know if L.A. goes internal with who they replace him with, but all I do know is they've got to come with a more solid approach to how they replace that position. I think – I don't know if you saw the comments by Ty Lu earlier today, but he felt kind of disrespected by how the Lakers approached him about taking the job. They essentially just kind of looked at him as like a LeBron guy and not a person who was coming in to actually coach the team and win games. So he kind of scoffed at their offer and took the Clippers job. Yeah, that's really interesting because Ty Lu is seen as – He's the type of guy, and this happened to Spolster too. He's the type of guy that'll get out of LeBron's way, let LeBron kind of coach, and you know, just kind of maintain locker room stability, etc. And then LeBron leaves, Tyloo comes to the Clippers, and within like two years, he's now seen as one of the top X's and O's and adjustments coach in the league, which I think he deserves that title. He is very good at at finding what's not working and fixing it. And the fact that the Clippers are in the play-in race, despite all the injuries they've had, not play-in race, will make the play-in, like definitely. Despite all the injuries that they've had this year is a big testament to how good he's been. So that's just something interesting. Again, it happened with Spolster too. People thought, this guy's not great. He's just kind of there for LeBron to not do much. And And then they had their own career independent of LeBron and I think Spolster is the best coach in the league and I think Ty Lue is up there in a lot of ways so yeah that that's interesting yeah those are all good points um I, I don't know if you follow half court hoops on YouTube or Twitter but he has posted a couple of things that Ty Lue has done and kind of his in-game adjustments so I agree with you Ty Lue has made you know he has made do with what he's had to work with, missing basically two, you know, max slots, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard all season long, groups of group of role players, another team that's also flexible with who they close games with. Um, and now they get Paul George back today. So I'm excited to see kind of just peaked at the score. It doesn't look like they're doing too well, but you know, from here on out, let's see how they look and, you know, maybe they can make some noise um, if they can get into the playoffs. Yeah. And they're also missing Norman Powell who's probably the third best player on this roster, I would say. So they've been missing, in my opinion, the top three players for weeks, and in Kawhi's case, the entire season. So, yeah, good stuff to them. And now, looking at the opposite side of the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns have been a lot better than everyone else this year. They've just been the best team in the league pretty uncontested do you think they're heavy favorites to win the title do you even think they're favorites at all or maybe it's just like a good regular season i'm kind of torn on this one i think they should definitely be the favorites out west um and i think it's very with with just how fluid the eastern conference is i think the sun's chances would you know just vary depending on who the actual matchup was um, like I think if they played Milwaukee again, for example, I don't know if they would for sure be the favorites in that series just because of, you know, potential matchups. But I will say, 
you know, they've shored up that center position by adding uh, McGee and Biombo behind Aiton this year. So we won't see, uh, you know, Aiton apprehensive to, you know, to actually contest yeah. shots and get in foul trouble because he knows he has guys behind him that they can trust. And I think that's kind of been the theme, theme of the Suns season. Like they've, like, you know, not many people have talked about it, but they've had multiple, like, key contributors miss, you know, 10 or more games this year or something like that. Um, and they've been able to just kind of like win games no matter who's out there. CP3 was out for a while. Devin Booker earlier in the year. Cam Johnson for a stretch. Aiton as well. Um, and they just kind of haven't missed a beat. Um, another team that's just really connected on both ends. You know, last time I checked, I think they were like one of two teams that were top five in both offensive and defensive efficiency. So yeah. that's usually a good barometer to, to measure a championship team with. Um, and they just – like when you watch them play, I watched their game recently against Philadelphia. They just kind of move at a different speed. They went down double digits early at that game. And, you know, Devin Booker, you know, he just, the shot making has been insane. He was letting everybody on Philly hear about it too. Um, Chris Paul, you know, has came back and looked, you know, mostly like Chris Paul. Gives him a good change of pace when Book sits. Um, you know, Aiton's playing well. Mikel Bridges is, you know, likely to make an all defensive team this year. Cam Johnson's one of my favorite role players. Jay Crowder, you know, the whole crew. So teams playing well on both sides of the ball. Monty Williams, you know, didn't win coach of the year last year, was my pick. But he's just, you know, once again, proving why he's one of the premier coaches in the NBA. So, you know, they are – they're legit. They're legit for sure. Yeah, and I like your point about how guys are missing time and it doesn't really matter because it feels like they're just – they have this beautiful system where – people can come out and you just plug in someone else for them. And yeah, they won't be as good if they're missing their best or second player, but they don't look that much worse because everything just flows so well, works so well. Like you said, Monty Williams has done the perfect job to get everything out of this team that he can. And I, I agree with you that the the additions of Biombo and McGee have been amazing, like a lot better than I would have expected. And I actually really wish they did this last year because I think if they had backup bigs like that last year, the Phoenix Suns would be looking at repeating this year for the championship instead of kind of having unfinished business. Because, I mean, Giannis was kind of able to exploit Aiden, DeAndre Aiden having foul trouble and not being able to play fully physical. But if he had competent defensive backup bigs like that, I think Chris Paul would probably have his first championship by now. So, I mean, I want to see this team win it all because I just really like Chris Paul, and I think he's possibly the best player ever to not win a championship, and it's pretty disappointing. So, yeah, they, I think, should be favorites. It's very possible they lose, but regular season-wise, at least, they just look like they're on another level in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going to win, you know, mid-60s, upper-60s wins. Like, that's not something you just always see. Um, with injuries. Yeah, you're right. Chris Paul. Yeah, with injuries. And Chris Paul, you're right. You know, the clock is ticking. This is probably, you know, now that we have see- we saw how last year played out, this is probably his best chance. I think just with the way everything has panned out around the league and, you know, even the other teams in the West, there's some question marks or some teams that just aren't experienced and haven't been on the stage. So, the Suns, like, this is their shot. I saw somebody, you know, recently tweet something about how this team reminds them 
of the 2014 Spurs just because they have that just that not just the determination, but just the focus from a night to night basis to like, let's take care of this. We need to work towards our ultimate goal. And we're kind of seeing that all play out for them. Um, just, a, you know, a number of contributors and a lot of them are back from last season. So the continuity is obviously still there. Um, and I think, you know, this is, I believe, the oldest franchise in the NBA that hasn't won a title. Uh, I remember reading that somewhere. And in the history of the Suns, they've had some really good teams. Obviously, Charles Barkley years, um, you Steve know, Nash Steve Nash in the mid-2000s. Exactly. Exactly. Those teams were really good. I think this team might lay claim to the best team in Phoenix Suns history. Obviously, none of them have won the championship, but this might be the greatest Suns team of all time. Yeah, I agree with that. They've had... I think three eras where they're championship contenders. The in like the late seventies, they made the championships with uh I think it was like Alvin Adams, Paul Westfall, someone else I can't remember played a big part. And then again the Charles Barkley teams in the nineties, they made the championship in ninety two. And then Steve Nash teams, which never made a championship, but probably should have, like they, they were supposed to, at least, based on how good they were. And I do think that this is probably the best one yet. And I think this is, yeah, like you said, this is their year. I really like the 2014 Spurs comparison because similar to the Spurs, they're just like, it, they know what they're doing. They have a system. They have a brilliant coach who gets the most out of every player. Everyone knows their role. And they just feel like they're out for blood. Like they're disappointed about last year. They know they could have won it all. In their eyes, they probably should have won it all. And they just kind of want to destroy anything that's in front of them. Like you said, the focus on a night-to-night basis, you don't really see very often from teams. And yeah, sixty mid-60s games, uh, mid-60s wins with injuries to some of their best players, like... That's unheard of, I think. If they were fully healthy, I think they would have been fighting to beat the Warriors' 73-9 and record. Like, they have looked that good this year. And it kind of feels weird to say that a team like that isn't the overwhelming favorite. But, I mean, with how good the league is at that, at this point, that's just kind of what it is. But, yeah, this is definitely their year, like you said. And I'm rooting for it because... For the past two seasons, they've just been a perfect basketball team. Like everything you want, if you think of good basketball, has been brought to light, not brought to light, just shown and displayed in this Suns team for the past two years. So, yeah, I hope they they go far and win it all. you have any last thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, um, I was going to ask you a question, actually. You know, like which team – in the Western Conference, do you think gives them the best run, you know, if, if they play them? Or do you think anybody in the West can actually knock them off? Warriors. I think the Warriors might not be as good as they look like to start the season, but bottom line is you have Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, hopefully Klay Thompson. Based, like, you'll have Klay Thompson, but hopefully he'll be – like how he was during the dynasty. He's looked a little worse with the injury recently, but I think they definitely could beat the, uh, the Suns. And I think that's what everyone wants to see. 
maybe not like the Warriors winning, but just that matchup at some point in the playoffs. The Christmas Day game was just incredible basketball. It works on so many levels with the Chris Paul, Stephen Curry thing. Monty Williams and Steve Kerr are, I think, similar-ish coaches in terms of just like having a set philosophy and knowing how to find players that will buy into that philosophy and making the most out of it. I would love to see that series. I would still take the Suns, but definitely the Warriors can beat them. I think, I mean, maybe Dallas. I think healthy Denver could, but doesn't look like Denver will be healthy. I don't want to count out Dallas against anyone just because they have Luka Doncic, but yeah, I I don't see them being Phoenix realistically. So do you think anyone could beat them in the West? Yeah, with the way things currently stand, so, you know, the players that are actually playing, yeah, I'm with you. I think Golden State has the best chance. Um, Earlier in the season, had you asked me this, I probably might have favored Golden State. Yeah. Uh, You know, some of their recent injuries, though, have changed some things. You're right, Draymond hasn't looked as good, but I do think just defensively, you know, aside from, you know, potentially trying to defend DeAndre Ayton because Kevon Looney is their only real size that I think they can count on in a playoff series. I think they have some some interesting pieces that they can actually use to slow, you know, Booker, Chris Paul, or at least make it tough for them, I should say. Um, they've got some really good athletes on the wing. Gary um, Payton. Yeah, GP2. Kaminga's even been, you know, pretty, pretty solid for a rookie defensively when they've stuck him on some – some of the tougher assignments, obviously Wiggins, who needs to pick up his offensive game. But, um, you know, if Clay Thompson is, you know, able to look like most of himself because he's been, you know, fairly inconsistent, some, taking some questionable shots as well, they just got so much, you know, firepower potentially offensively too between him, Steph, you know, even Jordan Poole who's emerged. It would be, you know, Phoenix might have been, you know, a, a near 71 team this year, but it would definitely still be, you know, a tall task to, I think, take down this Warriors team if they're playing at their absolute best. Agreed completely. And I like that you mentioned Kaminga because I think he's the X factor for them, which is pretty crazy to to say that a rookie's the X factor for a team, but he has looked fantastic, a lot better than pretty much everyone thought he would as a rookie, including me. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, he brings a level of athleticism that I don't think anyone on either team can match. And, yeah, I hope he can get real opportunity in the playoffs because I, he's not he probably won't swing a series, but he definitely could have a big impact, and I'd love to see that for a young guy. Yeah, absolutely, I think. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if throughout the playoffs at some point we see him guarding guys like, you know, Luca or Devin Booker or whatever. And it's not like he's going to, like, you know, shut them down or anything like that. He'd probably pick up some cheap fouls, too, just because of his, his youth and inexperience. But like you said, his athleticism, it just kind of stands out when you watch him on tape. Um, and I think this Warriors team that's going to – if there's one thing that they're going to struggle with, it's going to be, you know, matching size on the interior. But – you know, Kaminga can kind of offer you some secondary rim resistance just with the way he's able to, you know, make plays above the rim. Solid rebounder for his size as well. So his jump shooting will probably be the swing factor that determines whether or not that they can keep him on the floor. But if Andrew Wiggins continues to have games where he's a no-show offensively or just, you know, I don't know if he's dealing with something because I remember he had like a, a back issue earlier 
you know, yeah. post all-star break. But if that type of stuff flares up, you have a guy who's pretty much ready to go because he doesn't, he doesn't look scared of the moment. He looks ready to go even at 19, 20 years old. So definitely want to see if Kaminga can get in there and make an impact uh, as a rookie. Yeah. Who was the last rookie to really impact a playoff run like that? Tyler Hero? Was yeah, it's a good name. Are we are we talking about just drafted anywhere? Like, doesn't matter where they're picked. I mean, Jason Tatum was big for the uh, yeah. his rookie year too. Donovan Mitchell in his first year had a good run. Yeah. yeah. Were there any rookies last year that really uh, like had a big series or anything? I'm trying to think. Series? I don't think so. I know Tyrese Maxey had a big game six in the Atlanta series to help yeah. him get it to game seven. But as far as series goes, I don't think so. I don't think a lot of the rookies even qualified for the playoffs last year. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's always fun to see a rookie play a big role on a good team. And I hope Kaminga can do that. So with all this being said, and the regular season coming to a close soon, what playoff team are you most excited to watch this year? Man, this is this is a tough question. I've kind of went back and forth with a number of teams. Uh, and this team technically hasn't qualified for the playoffs just yet, but I'm going to go with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going to go with the Timberwolves. Um, even though they're at the seventh spot, I think they're going to get in. Uh, I think they'll be able to kind of lock up that seventh spot. Um, I just love what, you know, Patrick Beverly has kind of instilled into that team. Um, they have a no-quit attitude. Cat, uh, you know, I know there's that, you know, that moniker they give to players that score a bunch of points on teams that don't win games, like the empty stats type of guy. You know, I want him to shed that label just because I don't think that's really fair. Um, yeah. Minnesota just has had so many holes in, in years past, but they have made some really good acquisitions to kind of offset that. Uh, I thought I think Chris Finch has done a fabulous job. I also want to see Ant in the postseason, like you mentioned earlier. Um, and they just got a lot of guys that just play hard and will make it tough for whoever they see. You know, Vando, uh, McDaniels. Um, I think Malik Beasley's given them good minutes off the bench. Good catch and shoot guy. Mm-hmm. Um, they just got a number of guys, and even D'Lo. D'Lo stepped up his, you know, what he's done on the defensive end for them, and you know, his offense is a bit inconsistent, but he's still been positive for them. So I just want to see them play and especially if they play in that Memphis series. I think it becomes must-watch TV. Yeah, I'm really excited for them, too. They've long been one of my favorite teams. Like, for a few years now, Kat is one of my favorite players in the league. I've always wanted to see him succeed, so I'm very happy that's happening now. I will be so disappointed if they don't make the playoffs, if they lose in the play-in after having, like, I think a 10-game lead. I think... If I remember correctly, like they are less games away from a top two seed than they are from the ten seed. I think. Yeah, I'm looking at it. You're right. Yeah, they're closer to the two seed than they are the nine seed. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be very disappointing if after this great season where it looks like it's taken years, but they're finally like in the right direction. They're finally successful. If they now just lose two games and they're out, I will be very sad. I don't think it'll happen, though. I do think they'll make playoffs, and, yeah, I'm very excited. I think Cat and Ant is an electric duo that's going to be very successful for the next many years. 
And I think this year could kind of be their debut for that in the playoffs. And like you said, D'Angelo Russell kind of being that vocal leader on both ends of the floor, which is interesting. I would have never expected that that from him on defense. Like you said, Patrick Beverly, and then even guys like Vanderbilt, Jaden McDaniels, etc. They just have a a very well-rounded roster. And yeah, I'm always rooting for the Timberwolves. So I hope they make it and I'll be very excited to watch them. So any last thoughts before I think we should wrap up soon? Yeah, my last point I'll make on just staying on that Timberwolves point you just made. Um, I think the NBA going forward with those play-in positioning, um, they should really look to set you know some type of threshold where definitely there's maybe only a four or five game difference, and you can have that matchup. Or you know if the games between a seven or an eight or a nine seed is you know too many, where you just kind of grant the team that got the spot the spot. I don't think there should be teams that are 10, 11 games behind a, a seven or eight seed competing for that spot. So like in instance this year, I think that the Pelicans and Lakers, they should be eliminated in my opinion. They're just not really close to Minnesota and the Clippers or not at least not close enough to warrant that they should be able to play for those spots. So I hope going forward they institute that. And maybe even beyond that, uh, having the one and two seed, being able to pick who they actually play um, just to kind of give that one seed, you know, because in a way, the one and two seeds are kind of at a disadvantage, not knowing who they're going to play right up until basically the last day before the postseason. So, you know, allowing those two teams or at least allowing the one seed to say, hey, like out of these two teams, we'd rather see them due to these matchup purposes. It would just create more intrigue, I feel like. So I hope they do those two things. But overall, I think the play in is, you know, it's a fairly successful concept. I think just with some minor tweaks, it could be a little bit better. Yeah, I never thought about it as the top seeds being at a disadvantage for not knowing who they're going to play. But I have heard people like Zach Lowe kind of float that idea out there of them choosing. And I think that's a fine idea, but I don't think it'll get implemented. But the other point you said about a threshold to even qualify, I agree with that completely. We talked about it on the on this podcast last week with Jackson Lloyd. Definitely, I think there should be kind of a limit of how far behind you can be without um well how far behind you can be while still being in the plan so yeah bottom line plane's a good idea i like the plan but should probably be tweaked a little bit yeah i'm right with you right there okay so thanks for coming on man let the people know where they can find you yeah, you can find me at NMZ Hoops on, on Twitter. Um, also, uh, nmzhoops.com slash blog. Sometimes I write on there. I've been inactive for a little bit, but I'm planning on putting something out before the postseason and, you know, maybe a couple more things during the postseason. So um, always down to talk hoops. You know, just send me a DM or a tweet at me, and I'll try to get back to you. Thanks for having me, Kia. Yeah, always, man. You're, uh, you were the first person I wanted on when I made this podcast. It's an honor to have had you on twice now. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Bye. Bye.